We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius, who is graciously taking time off of nuking people on Twitter (laughs) to join us, and Mike. Today we're going to talk about the idea of running it back, right? That's something that with any title team, there's a great temptation, and with good reason, to bring back the same group of guys that you had before. We had this wonderful season as a 40-year Laker fan. This is right at the top of most enjoyable teams to watch, both on the court, but also their chemistry. It was just a really fun season. My question, though, Darius, is to what degree can we run it back in the first place? We could bring back the exact same guys and it be a different season. We could bring it back and it could be very similar, right? But to what degree is that even possible to do, even if it's the same guys? So those are two separate questions, right? The first question is, is it feasible to bring everybody back? Yes. Will there potentially be some contract negotiations or some back and forth about what numbers might look like and players have player options? And there's a lot of different stuff from a logistical standpoint, right? But this group just won the champ championship. I would imagine that guys will have their thoughts about preferences and the want to come back and be a part of what looks to be a high-level team. The second point that you made is, will it be the same? That's a forecast that is cloudy if you shake the magic eight ball, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm a big, and we've talked about this within the context of X's and O's and everything else, but the idea of how each little event influences the next event and the Lakers coming off of a championship and does that impact 
people's mindsets and are they going to have the same approach going into next season that they just had during the season and are relationships going to be exactly the same and if they're not exactly the same how does that domino and trigger the next thing right and and, and so those are human questions those are personality questions and as much as I'd love to be up here and act like I'm some psychologist and could break that stuff stuff down, I don't know if any of us have a good answer for whether or not it would look the same. But from a can they bring everyone back? Sure. Should they? I'm not sure. M- Mike, you made a point a couple of podcasts ago about the influx of New blood potentially being something that you always keep as an idea in your mind when a team is trying to, quote unquote, run it back. Do you have any thoughts about, like, should they or could they or how would it look? You know, Darius, first of all, I was playing foosball with my son, Jet, yesterday, and I never let them win at anything. So, and, and this is a, this is a, a this is a, I'm, t- I'm using this one because, you know, Darius is always good with these family metaphors, Pete, as a listener, as a longtime listener uh, of the <laughs> pod. And so I give them whatever game we're playing, I give them the requisite handicap so that I can try. So if we're playing soccer in the backyard, right, I give them X uh, amount of goals to get to 10. In foosball, the number has fluctuated between five and six. And if I give them six, uh, they can beat me. And in this case, even though I'm trying my hardest, he so he beats me. And I was I was not happy when Talon wanted to then play Jet after my other twin. Uh, they're they're both six. And Jet said, "No, nah, I'm good." And he walked away from the table. I'm like, I'm like, dude, you don't you don't leave the table after you win, especially after you win a big match against your dad, which doesn't happen all the time. Like you need to stay and defend your crown, bro. Like. Get get back there and defend your championship, or even if it's just for the day. And generally speaking, in any sport, teams always get a shot to defend their title. Uh, now it fluctuates, but f- uh, for here and there. Like uh, one of the more recent examples uh, of most recent example is that Kawhi Leonard didn't really give the Raptors a chance, but that was different because they traded for him. They knew that his uh, contract was up, right, and he had the opportunity to go somewhere else. Uh, but they certainly would have. Another example, Mike, is is the 2011 Mavs. Tyson Chandler. How, yeah. Yes, with the Tyson right. Chandler. So, so that's right. another one where... It, but here's the difference between those two, though. In that case, it seemed that the Mavericks chose not to bring... Ch- or, or at yeah. least they decided they, they didn't want to... Maybe they would have taken him back at a smaller number. And uh, was it the Knicks that he ends up going to for a bigger number? Right. The Knicks. So in, in the case of Toronto, it wasn't their choice. Like, they would have run it back, right, had they had the opportunity. And so in this case, you know, you there are fewer questions about you've got LeBron and AD. I know that AD's got to make his own decision. I know that, you know, he's expressed some confidence that he's going to be returning. Uh, that aside, the Lakers have a lot of guys that are on these player options. But I, I just think that to, to go way back to your original question about adding another piece, I like the adding of at least a piece, uh, but not that doesn't disrupt the core. And in the case of the Lakers, right, we talked about this on a previous pod, that's, that's getting Ron Artest slash Metal World Peace, um, to to replace essentially Trevor Ariza Ariza because that's an upgrade at that one position. So what I would I would always like to see a champion, especially one that does that wins in decisive fashion, which the Lakers did, um, get a chance to run it back at their core and then maybe Pete, you just add a piece around the edges or that improves one specific spot but doesn't change the makeup of the team. Yeah, so if I'm understanding you correctly, Mike, you're talking about 
keeping as much of this team together as possible. And then with whomever we sign with the MLE, that would be kind of the, that could be broken up into two players. It can be one guy. That's, that's probably our biggest if, because otherwise our, our route to acquiring guys is trades. And then by definition, that's really not, well, it could be that. So is that what you're looking at? That was our test was the MLE signing. But it it could go, I don't care how, like Rob Palenka is going to be good at figuring that out, whether it's through uh, just signing somebody outright, who's a free agent, whether it's through a trade, of, of like one or two pieces for an additional piece, whatever mechanism there is to mostly keep the core intact, mm-hmm. but to add something around the edges. And like in certain years, it could be a draft pick if it's if it's the right one. So it just, uh, Darius, that's what I'm saying. I don't care how they get to it, yeah. uh, but more or less like keep that roster intact. And then um, if you can, if it makes sense to, if there's a better player that you can get that's not going to disrupt, then, then add them. But I'm, I don't think there's a hard, fast rule as long as you keep the majority of the core intact. So what have we talked about on our last two Wednesday pods, right? It's better, worse, the same. And every team wants to get better. I think even if you're the champion, you want sure. to get better. And exploring all avenues in order to improve, I think, is the job of every capable basketball executive in the league. If, if you're not trying to get better, then what exactly are you doing? You're running in place, right? You're on a treadmill. So I'm 100% with the idea of trying to improve. A question I had for both of you, because, and this is something I've been thinking about since Pete mentioned the last pod that, you know, well, we're going to talk about running it back and running it back. One of the bigger ideas in terms of running it back to me isn't necessarily just about the players at hand. It's about the philosophy and the team identity and what the Lakers did in order to win wasn't just the idea of these are the players, right? It was the players committing to a specific style of play, to taking on a very specific approach, and in trying to win, you know, defense first, star-oriented offense, and on and on and on, and, and what that meant. So a question I had for both of you is, how important do you think, regardless of player upgrades— or potential upgrades, is the idea of running it back linked to, all right, well, we're still going to be a defense first team, and this is how we want to play, and this is that and the other, right? It's essential, Darius, that like we that formula of the two superstars, and when we were in high-level playoff series, we had defensive lineups on the court where the worst defenders, like KCP... Or, you know, like we had these... There were no weak defenders. There, there were, were no, no weaknesses. Weak defen- That's the point, right? Yes. Is that KCP is a good defender. And it wasn't just Markeith Morris, for example. There were some series where, like in the finals, Miami looked to target him. And that was less of a series where he was defensively appropriate for. And Vogel made adjustments around that. But the thing is, is we had like seven or eight guys who were different types of players. And so there's a template in place that yeah. I think Palinka really nailed with this team. I would love a little more shooting. That would be the one tweak uh, that if I could just sprinkle dust on, on this team, just add a little more, like, I know that guy's going to knock down an open three. So much of the offense, especially in the playoffs, is predicated around that LeBron and AD being unguardable. And so we created a lot of, of open shots. But that template of being a great defense built around two stars on the offensive end, if... We've got to we've got to identify, or Palinka does. That is, what is the heart and soul of this team? If I could bottle last season and apply it to every season going forward, I would. But 
there is a, a, a certain essence of what we were that to me, our third superstar was our defense. And anybody we bring in, like there are a couple of guys, and obviously we can't get too into that. There are a couple of guys where I could, you could maybe twist my arm and talk me into like, hey, yeah, but if we get them at an MLE, right? Like I might be able to compromise on this. But for me, Mike, everybody's got to be able yeah, the, to defend. The night that and I that's something that's so essential to the identity that Darius is talking about that it's almost a non-negotiable for me. Almost. There are a couple of guys, but first where half, do you stand I'm on watching that? that and I'm thinking, okay, this this is the the template, the formula, as you just alluded to, that can be transitional to the next season. That at when when it comes down to it, LeBron and AD engaged on both ends with two-way players around them. And I honestly don't care if they're a 35% three-point shooter or a 45% three-point shooter. As long as they're in those corners and on the wings and can just you know approximate, get close to, to shooting the threes well... That plus the defense is more important to me than just bringing in a 45% three-point shooter because that guy, maybe he's not on the court then to start game six because you're not being able to suffocate the opponent at the same time on the defensive end. So yeah. it is it is kind of that, that's the thing that translates from Vogel's not going to change what his beliefs are. He may change a lineup, he may make a, an in-game adjustment, which is great, but he still rightly believes how to win basketball games and how to establish a culture for a team. LeBron and AD are going to be there. And so the only thing that I wouldn't want to bring into the team is somebody, and without naming specific teams, uh, but so, who has a player that comes off the bench that wants to come in and just do their own thing outside of that identity. And and so I think that, and guess what? That's, that's going to be easy, I think, because of who you have. Because A, they just won. B, it's, Lebr- it's LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So it's not like somebody's going to come in and disrupt that. So that's why I think it's exciting to think about the future of this team and what they have built, how they have processed their uh, their game plans defensively, and uh, that that to me is sustainable. Yeah. And there are a lot of ways, Darius, that you can get to it. What you're talking about really, Mike, is culture. Yeah. Right? And culture comes from the top down, and culture comes from leadership, and culture then informs identity, and it informs habits, and it informs how you work every single day. There's going to be a lot of discussion about free agents over the course of the next however long it takes before the season starts, right? We, we hinted at this last pod about what is out there in terms of potential start dates, and, and I think that that could still be a moving target. But whenever the season starts and through the free agency period, you're going to be hearing a lot about player X and his skill set and what he does well and this, this, that, and the other. But so much of it to me is going to be all right, what is in that player's skill set more so than what he's been somewhere else? Because I think if you have the right skill set, then you have a certain amount of adaptability. And that's why, to me, it's much more about, all right, what can you do on the floor? Like a couple of years ago, before the Lakers had gotten LeBron, or actually it might have been the summer that they got LeBron, but I had this idea of like the Venn diagram of skills that I wanted the Lakers to target within free agency, right? And it was really like passing, defense, and shooting, right? Because passing to me extended to like basketball IQ and feel, and then shooting is obviously what what it is, and then defense is what it is too. And I feel like if you get as many guys as you can who can live in the middle of that Venn, Venn diagram, you're building out the most competitive team that that you can. 
So this is something that when you've got two superstars, everybody else, it becomes less about what those guys can't do and more about what they can do, to your point, right? That was a, a huge talking point about the Lakers going into the season, the guards in particular. And I do think that we need a, a ball handler to accompany LeBron. But And that was something that Rondo emerged as being capable of in the playoffs, so Pete, at least. And so we already... Uh, Pete, is this is this a little bit like if you have Tom Brady, you know, of the last 15 years in New England, then it matters a little bit less what the other pieces are because that great player kind of covers up, right, for the the other parts of it? Yeah, yes, and this is it is similar to a quarterback in the NFL because so many of the shot creation responsibilities will fall on LeBron and Anthony Davis. We talked about this recently, but AD being kind of that triple threat type of scorer who's dominant on offense in a different way than LeBron means that really all of the important bases, especially if you're in the last five minutes of a close playoff game, you've got all of the appropriate skill sets kind of covered. Everybody else needs to be able to set screens, cut, knock down open shots, swing the ball when they're supposed to, the basketball IQ stuff that Darius is talking about. It doesn't matter as much. And like you said, Mike, like, look, it'd be great to have a 45% three-point shooter who's a lockdown wing defender. That guy's making more than the finances that we have available. Those guys barely exist in the league. Yeah, exactly. So if you're going to choose between one thing or another, for everybody else, everybody else is going to have holes in their game. But the presence of those two guys, of those shot creators take so much of that off of the table that can you find guys who can set good screens, who can cut, who play hard on defense? These are guys that are around the league. And like to your point, Darius, about tell me what a guy can do, what a guy's skill set is, and then that's how they get incorporated into this team. My question is, is how much does the quick turnaround impact this, right? Like we've got a group of guys that are tired, that just finished this championship on October 11th. That was the last game of the season. We're talking anywhere between starting regular season games on December 22nd to January 18th. Even if it gets pushed back to January 18th, that's a quick turnaround after uh, a really stressful environment. Last year, LeBron took off a a decent portion of the, the last half of the season. They were all raring to go. They start this player training camp. It's this long buildup to what we are. There's a recovery component now, Mike, that didn't exist before. Does that alter your approach toward free agency at all, this turnaround time? Not really, Pete. Uh, The other part, too, you have to think about is they did have the four months where they were essentially off from at least playing games. Good point. And so it's it's unique. uh, Also, like they did have to then ramp up quickly to get to the postseason. And by the way, shout out to Dr. Judy Sido and everybody else for keeping this team almost fully healthy. Um, for that run and so like so they did do that I I think that it's just it's so unique and we're gonna have to see it play out but my the way that I think about it is they're gonna need a few guys to raise their games early in the season I mentioned this before maybe it's a Kuzma somebody that we know has more that wants to do more uh, that wants to carry a little bit more weight but ultimately it's gonna come down to once you get closer to the postseason it's that it's it's the playoff guys. It's the uh, Darius. What's the term that you use? Like the sixteen game player yeah. versus the yeah, you know the eighty two game. gamer. Yeah, and like so if they're I don't know if they necessarily even need to bring in another sixteen game player. Like we we they've got those, and of course a couple guys are gonna have to pick up their options. But maybe another guy or two, and Pete that could be the shooter, right? That just makes it easier in the regular season. That could be kind of a specialist type guy. 
But uh, like, think about this too. Avery Bradley, you know, if he comes yeah. back, like that's a two way guy that's going to have some fresh legs. That's going to have something to prove. That's going to say, and I, 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 I'm sure that they will. I hope that they do give him his ring, and then he, he's going to want to earn that ex post facto in a way too so sure. like there those are the kind of things a bradley accuse and ad raising his level where i think you just kind of get get through the first couple of months and then we know what it is when it comes i would to say even years. like a potentially a Taylor horton tucker right um yeah. who for sure give me some showed, THT, baby who who showed some flashes in the bubble got a couple of game actions in the houston series and looked totally comfortable out there in high stakes games, right? I don't think you're going to say THT go get us 20 points, but when you're talking about that that 82 game player, it's that idea too of um and this is an idea that that Pete's talk talked about a lot is is the innings. Like let's get people to eat those innings and this is where depth is going to matter and this is where I think chemistry is going to matter and this idea of the lakers have a fairly deep roster and they have guys who can and will play more during next regular season than maybe what they did during the playoffs or during this past regular season like even a guy like Quinn Cook or throughout the playoffs like a JaVale McGee right like all I, I don't know I don't know Darius I I I got to take 3 through 8 on every other team that the Lakers played <laughs> It's like people Come never on, watched man. basketball before. Uh, it it's drove like, me crazy. Yeah, it, that was sarcasm in case anybody no, didn't catch that. No, sure. And believe me, I was laughing. <laughs> this idea, though, of, of how do you build out the roster in order to best propel you and, and sort of stay afloat at the level that you want to be at? Right. I think we all understand that by the time you get to the playoffs, the Lakers have enough equity and proven players within that environment to not question what their success level could be there. The idea, though, of running it back gets more complicated to me when you do start to plan out, oh, yeah, so this might be more of a sprint than a marathon of a regular season. It may be condensed a little bit more, and you may have more um, back-to-back games or potentially three games in four nights or or a couple of four games in five-night scenarios where you will need to go deeper into the bench to play. And I do think the Lakers are equipped to manage some of that now, but the idea of supplementing what's already there beyond the potential for intern turn internal growth that that's a real balancing act that I think the front office is going to have to look at with really clear eyes when they're evaluating what next season can be and what they want it to be and then how to bridge that gap and a big part of that balancing act is going to be determining what to do with their own free agents so we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to discuss some of the guys that have opt-outs, some of the guys that are free agents for the Lakers, and what approach we think the Lakers should take with them. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. 
You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best offer available anywhere. So right now, go to Indeed.com backslash podcast. So Darius, long ago and far away, last season when we were in a pod similar to this one. Oh man. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's coming. I already go. I asked you what you would offer Contavious Caldwell Pope, who was a free agent at the time, and what you would give him, and you said a fond farewell. Yeah, a pat on the <laughs> back. A year later, I was very sarcastic with uh-huh. my response. It was, uh-huh. it was a great podcast moment. Pete, Pete's got receipts, friendly fire receipts on his own man. <laughs> I already knew and this was so, coming. Well, he just came off of a playoff run, man. We won a title, and he was arguably our third best player in that run. I wasn't quite as down on him as you were, but like I wasn't that far away either. A year later, where do you stand on him? How essential is he to who we are and what we do? It's interesting because I've been working through an article that I plan to put up for Blue and Gold on one Contavious called Caldwell Pope. And um, the intro framing was going to be the discussion from that podcast that we had had. Huh. So, so maybe your ears were burning a little bit from what was going on in my own head about this talk about KCP. One of the ideas I love about the playoffs is the idea of it being a proving ground. And this idea of there is opportunity there. And the players who seize that, that opportunity can transform how they're viewed within the context of their overall position within a team, within the league, and everything else. And there may be no player on the Lakers roster who personified that idea more to me than KCP, right? In his previous years with, with the Lakers, there was a lot there to like, and there was a lot there for me that I did not like. And a lot of that was happening in relatively low-stakes games where the question marks, because the Lakers had mostly only played in low-stakes games, there was no reference point for what this could look like in high-stakes games. And now we have high-stakes games in the books, and we see how he stepped up. So... I have shifted my mindset about where KCP is now versus what he was a year ago 
because we have more evidence. And I think that's what it's about when talking about like how you evaluate players is do you stick to your guns on now something that's clearly no longer true, right? Or do you adjust your mindset? And I've adjusted my mindset on KCP and the credit is all due to him and all the blame should be on me because I was the guy who who was wrong, right? And so without getting into specifics necessarily about what KCP is going to do, I think we'll comment on what KCP does when he does make a decision, right? But I would like to have KCP back. The Lakers... Just from a logistical standpoint, KCP can either opt in or he can opt out. If he opts out, the Lakers will have full bird rights on him, which means that they could offer him any amount of money that they wanted in order to keep him. And then it becomes a negotiation. I don't know how a negotiation like that would would play out, but I would like to have him back. I think he's a very good good player and proved himself as a starting caliber guard on a championship winning team who brings it on both ends of the floor. Those guys are valuable. You want as many of those guys as possible. So you you know, like here I am, I'm eating my crow for lunch. It's lunchtime. <laughs> so on Spectrum last week, they asked us to rank the or not rank, but name the player most important that the Lakers would bring back of the potential guys with player options or they could do something else. And AD exempted for obvious reasons. Um, I went with KCP. And the what the biggest reason is that his, his fit, not just with the roster, but his fit specifically around LeBron and AD um, is something that I just loved. And even when he wasn't shooting the ball well, which extended to portions of last season, even though overall he was just fine and certainly to start the 2019-20 season, he still has enough gravity uh, to make players go out, which is which is the most important thing, I think, next to good guys. He can do the secondary playmaking thing, um, specifically when he is around, like that play that they always run that you guys can describe better than me. Horns. The dribble yep. handoff on horns, exactly, where it's either Dwight or JaVale has the lob. And there, no team had a great answer for that, um, especially with LeBron and AD on the floor. So, And then the thing I think that's underrated about KCP is how fast he gets his ass Thank up you. and down transition. I was going to say uh, this. He, Thank you. So he, that is not something that every player either is A, capable of, or B, is willing to do. Because guess what? If you've ever played pickup, it's not fun sprinting your ass up and down and transition nope. every play. And and if you're and if the guy that you're guarding, you so okay, so I'm like Darius. Darius is the kind of guy that sprints up and down and tra- actually let's flip this, Darius. I was a soccer player, so when I played pickup in, in college, that was I was the guy that was sprinting every time. And if you saw me out there, you're like, oh my, come on, man! Like, do you have to? You're gonna sprint every time. You're like, do you have do you have to sprint your full sprint Again? every time? Yes. And guess what? <laughs> if you sprint every time, and LeBron James and Anthony Davis are on your team, guess what that means. Well, thinking how that ties into the defense too, right? You get a stop, whether it's a defensive rebound or a steal, and you got KCP hauling ass to deep corner. Yeah, and it it, it ties into what Darius was getting at on Twitter with a a nugget stand uh, that I saw earlier and like people questioning the Lakers half-court offense. You don't, you can't just pick part, like you can't just take out their transition game. Did their transition game get shut down in the postseason like transition games often do? No. You can't, you can't shut it down and KCP plays a key part of that and I haven't even gotten to the fact that he competes his butt off on defense across multiple positions every time. So he's almost like, for all the heat that he took, he always brings those things. And, and that's another, just like Rondo, Frank Vogel stood by that. 
throughout the season, uh, anytime that, and, and he's like, look, he, he has values that you guys don't always see just because he misses the open shot or he occasionally blows a layup in transition. And, and he gets credit for that. So this is a perfect example of what I was talking about in the first segment of when you've got two superstars, tell me what a guy can do, what the role players can do rather than what they can't do, because you can contour that to just put them in positions where they're doing the things that they're good at and not have to worry about the things that they're not right part of that too was coaching right with that horns handoff play kcp makes really good reads out of pick and rolls that was true in detroit that was something that when i was breaking down the tape of him when he kind of you know was a surprise that he signed here and i was like wow this guy makes good skip pass reads is can hit the lob man how many kcp to dwight lobs did we have during the season when avery bradley was starting and all of that and that speed and that ability to make passing reads, it complements our best players and our style of play so well that, to, to me, the only absolutely essential guys are LeBron and AD. But if you were creating a role player, speed, defense, and he was our most reliable catch-and-shoot guy, those are attributes that are, if he were to walk, he we would have to try to replace those. Be, and, and so he's not essential in the way that LeBron and AD are, but he's really an ideal role player for them. And Pete, as so this occurred to me in part because I was just talking about with KCP and with Vogel and you guys, we had texted the other day. So of course the Dodgers just won the World Series. And one of the big reasons why they were able to win game six was that Tampa stuck to the computer and they pulled Blake Snell Oof. when Anybody that grew up playing baseball or just watches baseball or just knows better, it just knew that was not the move that you could do at that point. And it made me, and I'm not, I'm saying this in part to criticize myself. Um, I was looking at the, the metrics uh, and the eye test for Rondo over the last couple of years. And Frank Vogel, unlike the Rays manager, unlike seemingly so many different managers um, or coaches in different sport, Frank Vogel was like, nah. I, 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 there's something different that you guys don't see that I'm seeing in the film room that I'm seeing in practice that I'm seeing with this, with his attitude, with his confidence. There's something that I think is going to in the postseason come around and help this team that Rondo does. I get it. It's not in the, it's not in the two man lineups. And I, I'm the one that asked him pointedly and I, I had to like apologize. And I'm like, Hey coach, uh, you know, Alex Caruso, LeBron, two-man lineup versus Alex Caruso or versus uh, Rondo LeBron. And I'm not even a numbers analytics guy. I use it to, to I use it because I have to because I didn't play in the NBA. So but I feel it was like so glaring make, that it was like, hey, yeah. what's going on here, right? And, and, I, and certainly I wasn't alone. You got we were all on it. Anybody who watched the games, and, and I just I just thought, I just kept thinking when I heard the coach, or I should say the 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 manager after the game sort of defending that move based on the analytics, and I'm like, shout out to Frank Vogel, man. And, and if you guys want to, to, to dovetail into Rondo um, for this discussion, Pete, um, I, I just thought that that was something that I couldn't help think of as I was watching the Dodgers win the World Series. No, so that idea of trust, and I think that that idea applies to KCP too, just as it does to Rondo, right? Uh, sticking with a guy, and this is a section that could have just as easily gone into the Frank Vogel discussion that we had a couple of pod, pods ago, right? But that idea of understanding all of the information, right? And so ana so analytics is one piece of the information. That should be a data point that's within your consideration sphere that is going to help influence what a final decision is. It can't be the only thing that influences it because you're going to leave out so many other factors that exist in a human world. And this is an idea that Pete and I have talked about on the pod for 
for years now, but that every business is a people business, right? There is no world out there where you don't have to engage with people and understand people. And every work environment is a team environment, right? Not just sports. And understanding the dynamics within that team and what's going to help produce successful results in the end, that, that should always be at the front of your mind when you're in a leadership position. And so in, in getting back to Rondo now, Rondo, Rondo was in a leadership position from the player side, right? And he just showed immense value as one of those 16-game players that we were talking about earlier on the pod this postseason. And Rondo may or may not opt in to his contract or opt out, right? He's on a veteran's minimum contract. And so the odds of him opting out to me are extremely high. Even And there's been reporting out there that that's likely, but no decision has been made yet. So in um, the spirit of this podcast of running it back, Rajon Rondo, Pete, want him back? Don't want him back? Replaceable? Not replaceable? Like, we don't have to go that far down, but he's an interesting player based off of how much he gives during the regular season versus his potential to obviously raise his level during the postseason. And there's a lot of factors here that I think go into this. Absolutely. So first, I want to start from the leadership component, because this is always something that we will have incomplete information on. We are not in the film sessions. We are not, you know, Rondo has a sterling reputation for pulling younger players aside. Alex Caruso, it's funny, we always would pit Caruso against Rondo. And then it as it became more and more apparent, they don't really pay, play the same position in a lot of ways, especially on the offensive end. They have different responsibilities. But Caruso would talk about how influential Rondo was in the film sessions. And, and that's something that across the board, people will laud Rondo's contributions in ways that we cannot see in ways like there's, there's kind of like a romantic, he's so smart. He knows the other team's playbook. He calls out their plays on the court and that's cool. That's great. Right. It, the, the ability to do that in the moment. One thing that drove me that still drives me crazy about him. We did this a couple times in the playoffs is he will be calling out like what the play is and then we'll get burned because he's like not, closing out to his guy, right? Like he's calling out the play as he's leaving his man open. I digress. That that all has value, but the ability to pull guys aside and teach them fr- from the position of a player, not just a coach, that has value. But my whole thing was like, the whole time was like, yeah, that's great. You got to be able to play. You got to be able to do it. Guys who can do that on a high level, they are called coaches. Thing was though, is that Rondo showed that he could be that ball handler that I was pining for Maybe not in that 82-game sense, but in that 16-game sense. And so I do want him back. Now, there's obviously a line. There's a a place where you go, okay, you've got to move on. But whomever were to take his place, if he's not coming back, has to be somebody that can handle the ball in a Western Conference Finals, in a Finals game, and be able to thrive in those types of environments. Because I do think it's essential to take LeBron off of the ball from time to time, even if it's having him on side ball screens with, and and as the screen setter, it allows us to invert some of the things we do to a more conventional way. Mike, I have a comp that I've been thinking about the last few, few days in relation to Rajon Rondo and sort of the value that he had for this Lakers team in this specific postseason run. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are about it. 
he very much reminded me during this postseason of like the tail end Warriors version of Andre Iguodala. And there was an import that Rondo carried himself with, you know, Frank Vogel called called it swag, but this ability to play in the highest leverage moments and produce not necessarily just with actual production, but with like playmaking with things that that help grease the wheels to make you succeed, even if it doesn't show up in the box score for you. And those guys have immense value to your team. And similar to Iguodala, he had a leadership role and he was looked to by from the veterans perspective as a peer and from young players perspective as sort of that oracle type of guy who could who could offer you insight. And so you would never say, okay, Warriors, like, yeah, let's just get rid of Andre Iguodala. Right? Like like that would never be something that they would do. He like he was just too valuable to them, even though he wasn't a starter, even though during the regular season he could be very up and down. Like I live in the Bay Area. I watched a ton of Warriors games. Iguodala was not this like, oh, let's get 13 and 6 every night. Like, no, there were some nights where it was like, oh, yeah, Iguodala missed all five of his three-pointers, and he had four points and a steal. Congratulations, right? But in the biggest moments, he made plays. So, Mike, what do you think about Rondo? Because to circle it back to the start of this calm conversation, we were sort of, I think, as, as a trio, lower on him clearly than what the coaching staff was. So now, after a championship, how do you revisit that? Let me first touch on the Iguodala thing. The the oddity for this, what we got this year from Rondo, is that other than maybe one out of every kind of six or seven games, you know, when he would bring it and he would give the Lakers something in the regular season, you know, Iguodala brought at least something, and he was part, he was the key part of the rotation for almost that entire stretch. So there was even if so if he didn't score in a game, he was still giving you top level defense. And and so like his my guess is that his plus minus regardless yeah. of if his shot went in or not was pretty consistently good uh, across all of that time. And especially because he was part of what unlocked the death lineup uh for them and and he was going to be he was in like he was closing a game barring some weird uh exception. Rondo it would happen every once in a while. And so it was that lack of consistency I think that and because we saw how consistent Alex Caruso, who I would say is actually a, a kind of a weirdly decent comp for Iguodala, and in other ways, mm-hmm. you know that that gives uh, because again he sometimes is. they'll they'll give you they'll, if they hit a couple threes and score at the rim, you're winning that game because they're so good defensively, they're making smart plays. Like he he's not the same kind of guy because Iguodala much great pedigree. He was an All Star before. He used to score the ball more, uh, but like the way that he was as the role player there, I thought Caruso fit that more in the regular season, but. Come to the postseason, Caruso's still great, but then Rondo steps up in that additional way that you would mention um, through Frank Vogel's words in the swagger and in the confidence. And, you know, that, like, physically, you know, Rondo, while he's had the hand injuries and stuff, if you just look at the guy, like, he is, he is a kind of a freak athlete in terms of his shape, his condition. You know, as he gets older, there isn't a single one of his 26 abdominal muscles that doesn't show still to this point. So, like, he's he's up there, and the Lakers got a few of those freaks, okay? So, I think we're all on the same page. Look at us, man. Like, after all the dust settles, 2020 is a wild year, all advocating for oh, Rondo's return at, at, at a certain level. But 
if you look at it in aggregate, we want KCP back. We want Rondo back. Avery Bradley has a player option who he could opt in to, to play next season for us as well. Danny Green and Alex Crusoe. That's five guards that all have... Oh, no, THT too. Oh, and THT, yes, yeah, yes. If you want to try to get him some minutes, yeah. And so there's six six guys, right? THT and LeBron, and LeBron plays point guard on offense. Exactly, yeah. right? And yeah. so do we have a bit of a numbers problem right now with, with guards? Do we need to make a move just – or are we – do we find ourselves in a place where in the regular season guys are unhappy? Because one of the things I think about in the concept of running it back is what is the attrition that title teams normally face – it's guys getting some shine because they were on a, a contributors on a championship team. They get bigger contract offers where at some point you've got to say, hey, good luck to you. Congratulations on the promotion, on the more money and, and all of that. There's also playing time, right, which plays into that. Do we have a, a numbers game to, to any degree? So there are a couple things here. First of all, I think that Rondo's minutes immediately get scaled back in the regular season, right? Like, you're, he's shown that he can essentially not play for four or five months and then come in and immediately have a big role. And, and I think that you you want to preserve that uh, to an extent, too. So I, I, I don't see him as coming in and, like, he's the backup point guard. You give him 25 minutes a, a game. You know, I don't, I don't see that happening um, if he returns next year. But in certain big moments, in certain big games, then you want to extend the minutes and somebody else is going to have to sit. Okay, fine. Same thing with Danny Green. Danny Green is the only player in the NBA that is that. Let me put it this way: nobody has had less rest than Danny Green these last two seasons. Went all the way through the finals with the Raptors, then went all the way through the longest season ever with the Lakers. No in between time. I could see him getting a, some scaled back minutes. The the X factor here is Avery Bradley, and as you said, Pete, if he returns, you know what are his minutes going to look like as a if is he does he go back into the starting lineup? Where does Caruso go? Because to me, Caruso's the guy that's still going to have the chance to keep getting better mm-hmm. um, and to keep demanding more minutes. And I, I think that by starting game six and being awesome, he's the guy whose minutes have to go up from where they were last year. Caruso has an those, argument to be a starter next year. Yeah, absolutely. And and so the rest of those guys, like I, but I don't see that as a problem. I, I see that, again, as, as something that we talked about, Darius, to kick it back to you as the how do you get through the regular season with some numbers, with some guys that are going to need some additional rest. And then Frank Vogel um, still has the has kind of earned our trust, I think, at least, to decide who should be playing when it counts, when they need to win a game here, when they need to win a game on the road, when they, and when the playoffs come. So you don't see it as a problem, Mike, but for our wireheads, Marlo Stanfield would call that one of their good problems, <laughs> right? Because you do want the depth, especially two-way guards. To me, it's more of an idea of keeping everyone happy, and that comes more back to leadership and buy-in and the coaches and LeBron and Anthony Davis, right? And so, look, we talked about all those ideas about, um, well, and LeBron plays, plays point guard. Well, LeBron's going into his 18th season, and he just had one of the best individual runs that he could have had during this postseason, played all out defensively, for, you know, a longer stretch, I would say, during this season and during these these playoffs that he has probably since he was with the Miami Heat when he was a much younger player. So who's to say that if you're going to talk about scaling back minutes and where do minutes go to, maybe some of those are LeBron James's minutes, right? And instead of him being in that 34-minute range, you dial that back 
a few minutes more in order for him to generate a new sort of timeline for a ramp up to a postseason that could be on us faster than ever, right? So I'm not eager to get yeah. rid of any of the guards unless it's for clearly a better player who can do many of the same things that these players already do for, for you now, which is defend at a high level, which is make smart basketball plays, and which is make a jump shot at a consistent enough level to make the defense either pay because they're not defending you or to create gravity, right? Because you're already feared at a certain level, right? And, and so those are the ingredients. And, and that idea of running it back, like I'm more in line of get me more of these guys. Yeah. Don't start to take away some some of them to make your rotation cleaner. It's, it's the year for roster depth. Yeah, depth is our friend in this quick turnaround time, right? Where we've got less time than any other champion has ever had to go into the next season. And are guys like Danny Green and Rajon Rondo going to be like, oh, my minutes are cut during the regular season. Oh, darn, considering the the load that a guy like Green has had and the, the approach that Rondo takes to then, right? And so those are good problems, as you said. Can we talk about the big guys for a second? Yeah, I wanted to. So you've got JaVale has a player option and Dwight is a free agent. I actually want to talk about Dwight first. We talked a lot about the bigger, stronger, faster Lakers this season. And Dwight Howard is big and strong and fast, even at his age, and greatly contributed to the athletic dominance that the Lakers had. That said, Mike, over the course of the playoffs, he was crucial to that Denver series. The Lakers were fine against Portland either way, in my opinion. But he played in that series, but his role was very much diminished against Houston, very much diminished against Miami. He started, but he was very much a one-shift player. In a league where there's, and I know I'm kind of loading this question in one direction, which I think kind of reveals some of my thought process on this. In a league where bigs are not a dime a dozen, but where you're certainly not paying for vertical threats who can defend, there are seven-footers who can do that that are pervasive around the league. To what degree... Do you value a Dwight Howard? To what degree is he part of the the magic ingredients that comprise this season? And how does that translate going forward to next year? You know, I, so I'm just, I will definitely answer the question, but I'm curious, like, what do you think? Because the, like the way that you set up the question, right? You have thought about this. So I want, I want you to get your, your shot off and then let me respond. I, I want guys who can defend the perimeter. The reason that a guy like Dwight Howard or even JaVale McGee gets played off of the floor is for that reason. There are benefits on the offensive end, right, to being able to create spacing. But those guys, as they're vertical threats, they create spacing in ways as well, even if they're not shooters. So my concerns with, with those two players in particular are not on the offensive end, but can you play in a high-level playoff series? Every every opinion that I have is kind of reverse-engineered from that question, is can you compete in the Western Conference Finals in the finals and be able to play multiple shifts against most teams. Now, the nature of role players is that some series are going to be more appropriate for guys than others. But the more we can get, and I think this is the direction that the league continues to go in, is the more that we can have five-man lineups that can defend the perimeter, the better. But that's a risky proposition because at that point you can be taking away part of the team's identity of being big and fast and strong and able to protect the rim, which is such a, a pillar of Frank Vogel's approach to the defensive end. So 
this isn't something that I have a hard and fast opinion on. Like, oh, who cares if Dwight comes back? I don't feel like that that at all. But if there was somebody out there who could play the five spot, who could protect the rim, but also be a little switchier, be a little, you said in a recent podcast, they're not awful at it, right? Our bigs, but they were reasons they weren't on the floor in those high end situations. Is there somebody that can protect the rim and do that? I might be more inclined to go with that guy. I mean, there are only like three or four guys in the league that do that. One of them's Anthony Davis, right? The other one is Bam, you know, maybe Giannis. Like, I I want to stay with the bigs. Uh, I want to have the, the, the bulk, the athleticism, the verticality. I want to protect the rim um, for the 82-game season and for the specific matchups that you might need it in the postseason, which turned out to be Denver this year. And, uh, like, the for the Clippers, right, they're going to have to play Zubats more. Uh, they're just going to like in, in a lot of those lineups you're going to need another big there and i just think it's so anthony davis is such an incredible luxury but you also don't want to completely just take it for granted because it's easy for us to say watching the lakers oh yeah you know what i don't know if they really need those other bigs like ad obviously can do that and and that sort of that to me puts it puts the the bulk of the responsibility on him in a way that you don't really need to if you have those other big options there. So uh, I, I thought, again, Dwight couldn't have been better based on what the expectations were. Uh, for it, But I'm, I'm more speaking about that type of player that he is, that role that he played, and JaVale to, a, to an extent as well. And I, I, just, I liked having two of those guys available to do that, whether it was with the starters, whether it was with the bench, whether it was in a game against Utah where they didn't use him at all. Like, I, I liked having that option, and I think that that's part of what made other teams be like, oh my, we got to play the Lakers today. Like how many dudes inside, like there are arms everywhere. I can't even see the rim. So I, I like maintaining that edge beat. So one of the things I would talk about when it comes to Dwight Howard is defensive acumen, right? And so Pete was talking a lot about ability, right? Like ability to defend the perimeter, ability to defend the paint. What is your acumen in terms of deploying those tools that allow you to do those things? And to me, that is the connectivity that, like you need that in order to bridge ability and production, right? And a lot of guys have ability, not a lot of guys have production. The guys who have both are the ones who have the acumen. And Dwight to me is a guy who does have both of those. I'm all with you, Pete, about reverse engineering a playoff series and trying to figure out how are you going to build out the best roster in order to compete at a 16-game level. But I think just like we were talking about depth when it came to the guard position, I do think the Lakers also need to look at depth from the center position. Absolutely. And protecting Anthony Davis a fair amount in the same way that we're talking about protecting some of the guards that are on the roster and having options. I want that too. I loved the setup that we had this year of two bigs, plus Anthony Davis, which it's not like we didn't do that in the regular season. That was yeah. a big part of what we did, and we developed that. But having, like, it's essential to me that we have two legit fives in those spots. It's just a matter of who they'll be. Yeah, and so, look, I'm not saying you have to bring Dwight Howard back, but if there's a list of four or five boxes that I want checked from a player who's going to play center for the Los Angeles Lakers, he's going to need to have appropriate size. He's going to need to have appropriate athleticism. He's going to need to have a certain defensive smarts and IQ, that acumen that we discussed. 
and he's going to need to be happy not getting the ball a lot offensively. Know his right? role, yeah. And he's right. He he's going to need to have that buy-in. And right now, Dwight checks all of those boxes. Now, can you find another guy who checks all of those boxes and maybe has a bit more of a varied skill set, like you were talking about, Pete? Like he's a bit more switchy. Can he like stretch to the three-point line? Right? Like these are sort of wants, not needs to mm-hmm. me. And the more and more you expand the skill set, the more check boxes you 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 add, the more the player costs, the bigger his role likely is. And I think that the Lakers need to continue to target these budget options who have a certain amount of seasoning at that specific spot to sort of flank Anthony Davis and protect him some and then go to the background when it's time for AD to step front and center. So that's a different thing to me. So I'd like Dwight back. I think it would be a different conversation around JaVale, for example, for me personally, is if I'm pitting the two together, I might look at what what can you do with, with that position rather than Dwight, who is a straight free agent. But JaVale's got a different situation. Thinking about the center spot, guys, it just, to me, again, speaks to the luxury of having LeBron and AD, where there are, like, and because this position is basically the cheapest, there's only one, a lot of teams are playing that position off. So, like, that, it's the position that I am least worried about filling, but I, I just think you have to acknowledge how well... Um, they those minutes were covered. It was part of our identity season. is that we had bigs, right? Like that in, when other teams were playing that position off, that we had guys who could fill it in, in different ways. Right, and that and that again speaks to Frank Vogel's vision, and I think to Polinka as well, and, and the two of those guys deciding it, and frankly, AD, who I, at times I thought unfairly got criticized for being like, "Why don't you just embrace playing the center?" And it's like he like he knows what he's doing, you know, he he knows that there's a certain benefit in having some additional muscle out there, but. The other, the other reason I started with LeBron and AD and how that makes it better, too, is I could absolutely see a scenario in which there is a one of these bigs, and there are a few of them in the league, that now are basically interior defending bigs who also shoot threes. And so it's not a pure stretch five in the way that, like, Markeith Morris can be a stretch five where, okay, you just sit and shoot threes on that side of the floor, and then you try to hold up against centers. It's a, it's a player that, that actually has some bulk. And then has learned to shoot threes later in his career, you know, like the Brooke Lopez, Marcus Gasol, um, Aaron Baines types, like the, that type of guy. So could a type of guy like that fit in as well? Sure. And and that's that's the beauty again, where you can you can have uh, the tr- the checklist that Darius laid out, but you could also add a couple of other options to it. And and so I I that's a position where I feel pretty confident that they're going to be able to figure that one out. I would like one of those. So Dwight being big and strong and athletic to me if you if you look at how JaVale and Dwight like they're different types of traditional bigs neither guy is that player that you were describing but JaVale and and Dwight are very different from a strength standpoint so Dwight coming back to feel that hey we got to play against a Jokic and we need somebody with some strength and that can bang with him that feels a valuable role for the other big spot though if you're going to be a more lithe and lengthy big man, to me, you've got to be able to switch on the perimeter. 
if you're not going to be able to to do that. So I, I suppose I'd be more like you were alluding to this, Darius, about maybe having a different perspective on JaVale. Like if it were Dwight and somebody who I just described, I, I'd probably be more inclined to go that route if that were a possibility. I think this goes back to the idea of skill sets, Pete. And yeah. sort of how we started this entire comp conversation, right? So I think we can worry less about the names on the back of the jerseys and more look at it from the standpoint of for all the stuff, like what can you do, right? Which is another theme of this podcast. And can you switch? Can you run the floor? Can you catch a lob? Can you shoot, shoot a three, right? And can you defend in the post in a sturdy way? Can you hold up and drop coverage? Can you play at the point of attack, right? And you want as many of these skill sets represented on your team as you can. Now, the great thing is, as Mike has said multiple times this pod, in LeBron and Anthony Davis, you have a lot of those things checked already, right? Across both perimeter and big man spots. But Stacking those things on top of each other, and this is a point that you've made throughout the season, Pete, is what made the Lakers such a good team is is like they identified strengths and then they added more guys who did those things as strengths. And then those strengths were diversified enough across the entire roster that you're like, oh, this guy does that too. Or now we put multiple guys on the floor who do several different things well and they complement each other and now this team is a beast to deal with right and you saw that I think from the guard position and you saw that from the forward and big man position and maybe this is a place where we can put a bow on this entire calm conversation but to me the idea of running it back speaks so much more to like yes run it back as much as you can with the skill sets that these players have and finding different guys who do these same things is probably harder in some cases than it is in others. But I do want this team fundamentally to look very similar next season to, to what it did this, this past season. And rightfully so they won a championship doing it this way. All right. That'll do it for this one. Um, before we go though, if you haven't voted yet, and you have have a mail-in ballot, I would greatly encourage you to go to one of the many drop-off sites that there are to to drop that off, right? Rather than relying on the Postal Service. Let's, uh, let's not run the last four years back. On Monday, we're going to get into the player that I think, or the person in the organization, I think is most responsible for where we are in this series of giving people... Can't wait to talk about Caruso. Can't wait to talk about Caruso. Soon, Mike. Soon, Crusoe is a close of second. Of course, it's LeBron. Of course, yes. It's LeBron. We're gonna go talk about LeBron, and uh, we're gonna go over just the multitude of ways that he helped us get to this point. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room podcast. And we'll catch you guys next. Vote, vote, vote. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires, it's in, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left, Van Exel to win it, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. 
a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding it. me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.